The Pazuzi has been poured. The candle is lit. Welcome to the Horror Salon. I am your co-host, Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. Uh, welcome. Today is going to be awesome. Um, we have uh, one of, in my opinion, the most amazing poets on the planet with yes. us, and I know he probably just rolled his eyes. That's fine. But we're going to be talking with James J. Siegel today. Uh, as part of our literature season, we wanted to, to hit poetry, and and we thought he would be perfect. So, Jay, are you there? I am here. I'm so excited to be with you guys. <laughs> Hooray! And Jay, tell us where you're join. Tell everyone where you're joining us from today. Oh, okay. So I am in San Francisco. So there is a little bit of a time difference. So I do have my own pazoos. I did bring my own pazoos, but um, it's, it's probably not going to be as potent as your pazoos <laughs> since there is a time difference. That's fair. That's well, fair. tell us, tell us about your pazoos. Oh, I just have like a nice little red wine, you know, because I thought that would be, um, it's not as dangerous. It's not <laughs> as um, high octane. It's like three o'clock here. So it's a nice little, and it's poetic and dramatic. It's, that it is. it is. You know what else is poetic so and there. dramatic? The giant bed sheet hanging behind you. You can edit that out. And I, well, well, here's the thing. If you really, if you really want to go into why there's a bed sheet hanging behind me, this office that we're using has been like our communal work from home office. Uh, and Desi does not, I probably it's a different Desi's my husband if you're gonna keep this part in. But yeah. I have I have a big like my my shrine to Madonna behind me. And he doesn't want his co-workers to see that. <laughs> He actually even like took down some of my Batman stuff. What? Oh no. Oh, he and I are gonna have a conversation. I think you should because I told him I said it's it's art. Why are you why are you gonna take it? It's it's one of the things that you got me. My um what do you call it? My original Batman artwork. What? He took that down? Yeah, he just didn't feel he felt like it just wasn't, you know. Okay. Oh. <laughs> All right, I digress. All right, so which made uh, one of the drinks I always think about when I think of Jay, just very briefly, he and I go all the way back to college. But one of the drinks I always associate with you, Jay, is the Cosmo. So which being the um, mixologist that she is. Amateur, I would, amateur Okay, amateur mixologist has put together a, a Cosmo inspired by, I don't know. Stuff. I'm calling it a cosmic Cosmo. Um, okay. Because the variation is in an original Cosmo, you have the you have the cranberry juice and the lime juice, and then the the I think it's contro is that how, the orange liqueur, and then uh -huh. you do like a vodka and usually like a citrus vodka. Well, I was yeah. like, I have so much liquor in my cabinet, <laughs> I am not going back oh to the store. So I used some of the vodka we had. I had triple sec, and then I didn't have cranberry juice. So it this has a pama, the pomegranate liqueur in it. So okay. it's great liquor. It's all liquor, no juice. It's oh no. Yeah. So this is a cosmic <laughs> cosmo because it's gonna send us to outer space. <laughs> oh shit! Yay! Right, uh, yeah. Jesus, Rick. Oh, wow. It tastes like 
a Smarty that I pulled out of a chemical dumpster of some sort. You and I'm the poet. What? <laughs> that was amazing. It was beautiful. It does taste like a Smarty, actually. Mm -hmm, it does. That was once on chemical fire, so you couldn't actually see the flames in a chemical dumpster. No, it's, um, I think it's pretty good. It'll, it'll do. It'll do. <laughs> I can't wait to watch you guys like fade as the time goes on. It's gonna be <laughs> fascinating. That usually does happen. That usually happens. <laughs> we get a little off. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get this show moving forward because I could sit and talk well, to you like well, day and night. Before you get too, too, too much, I just want to say like how exciting this is just because I, I, I listen to you guys every week and I got to hear the clink. And I got to hear all, so I'm I'm kind of fanning out a little bit. Oh, come on. Yay. That's wonderful. Whew. Now you can watch us clown down. <laughs> that's, the, hey. that's the next step. Okay, so uh, like I said, tonight we're hanging out with my best pal, James J. Siegel, JJ from back in the day, and Jay now that he's all cool in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> we met at a book depository. Uh, he thought I was a little crazy. I thought he was a stuffy little gay. Um, we talked, we smoked a million ciggies, we laughed our asses off, we talked about ghost goblins, horror movies, urban legends, and the rest is history, however many years later, hundreds of years later. Uh, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, you were a poet then, um, but watching you, watching you evolve over these years has been a sight to behold. I'm just going to say that. Oh, thank you. Um, unbelievable. So let me give you a rundown on what an awesome poet he is. Yes. Um, get ready to blush. Um, okay. Ghost of Ohio, which we're going to talk about tonight, was nominated for an Ohioana Book Award. Uh, he was a scholarship recipient for the Antioch Writers Workshop in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Another big deal. And his work has been published all over the place, including uh, the Cortland Review, HIV Here and Now, Borderlands, Texas Poetry Review, and many others. Oh, and the the book, he was featured in an anthology, Diving, Diving, Diving? Divining, Divining. I spelled that wrong. Diving Divas is what I have. Um, <laughs> divining. That would be a fantastic book. <laughs> 100 Gay Men on Their Muses, uh, which is actually really great, even though I have a typo. Um, he's become a prominent voice on the San Francisco poetry scene, in part by creating and curating a monthly literary speakeasy. And he's been doing that five years, I think. It'll um, be six years in June. Six years wow. in June. Um, and it features some of the best artists uh, of San Francisco and beyond. It's at, uh, for any of you, our listeners out there who are in the Bay Area and in San Francisco or close enough to drive, it's at Martuni's Piano Bar on Valencia Street. So check it out. Go check it out. Go say hi to Jay. Uh, and each one of those raises funds and awareness for causes that are close to the community's heart. Am I right about that? Uh, for the last year we have. Because for the we've last been online. Year. And so I decided, instead of just doing an online show, why don't we add some sort of extra component to it? And so we we raise funds for a different nonprofit every month online. See, that's, that's awesome. awesome. So you've got to be ready to get back to live readings, I'm sure. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and also because at Martinis, it's an amazing martini bar. And the and the mm -hmm. martinis are as big as your head. They're just gigantic martinis. And so again, while I'm hosting my show, you know we're gonna start wrapping it up when I start slurring people's minds. <laughs> I love that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, while I do encourage everyone to check out his latest collection of poetry, it's called The God of San Francisco. Uh, tonight, Witch and I, you know what I didn't mention? Did I mention? I don't think I did. He made the Kenyan Review. I know I gave a shout out to it on the last mm -hmm, podcast, did, but you have an article in the Kenyan Review. What was that like? Well, kind of amazing. I mean, um, the uh, one of the guys uh, that uh, blurbed my my new book, uh, Ruben Quesada, he um, actually does a uh, weekly poetry today column and he he asked me if I do it so just sent me like some really amazing questions to answer and so it's always featuring a new poet mm -hmm. every week and so I was like can he asked me if I do it I was like yes of course so <laughs> yes yeah that's great and you also had that great article in the San Francisco Chronicle I did uh, I know I mean you're, you're you're doing stuff I'm trying I'm trying <laughs> Um, so anyway, yes, well, I do encourage everyone to read The God of San Francisco, uh, his latest collection of poetry, which and I want to talk to him about his first collection, How Ghosts Travel. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically a love letter to Ohio and all her weird, poignant, and macabre wonders. Um, even if we weren't friends, as an Ohioan, this collection of poetry would speak to me just as loudly. Uh, you tackle coming of age in the Midwest, ghosts, both literal and metaphorical, the rise and fall of communities when finances collapse, religion, despair, rebirth, hope, horror movie marathons. Mm. Um, one, I know you are um, you are influenced by James Wright. Yes, the poet. I went back yes, and read absolutely. some of his stuff. I went back and read some of his stuff last night, and there are echoes, echoes of his work through your work. And I mean, I'm just going to say, I think you are as good. You are you are on the same level so. as you. You are, and I know you can say no, and that's fine. But I believe that you are. And one, one Other of people poems, would say that's blasphemous, but thank you. I don't care. I'm not. I'm not a poet, so I don't have a dog in that hunt. Um, <laughs> at the executed murderer's grave, I, I saw you in that poem. I saw pieces wow. of you in that poem. So, anyway, I, I I went so far as I was on poetry poetryfoundation.org, I think, and there was something I read about him that resonated with me, um, Edward Butcher, Buchar of the Georgia Review uh, talked about James Wright and he stated that a pattern of despair followed by celebration ran throughout Wright's work. Despair and celebration, ritual damnation and ritual salvation. The agony of human existence miraculously made bearable by nature's eloquence. And that screamed you to me, so. <laughs> So I, yeah, I mean, I guess I've been inspired by him more than I even like. I give him tons of credit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but I guess I haven't really. The more you think about it, it's like I've, yeah, yeah. That that was my that was my poet that I feel like opened the door for me. How did you was, find him? Well, it's it's funny because I'm, you know, I I uh, was a creative writing minor in college, as you know. Um, and so, of course, you know, James Wright was somebody that we, you know, studied, but I don't think that it was until I went back later, um, you know, out of college trying to find my voice, you know, it's like, I obviously wrote for a long time, but um, like anybody who's a writer or a poet or whatever, you're still trying to figure out what your voice is. And, and so it was like, I just kind of went back to James Wright because I was also, when I would move to San Francisco, I was thinking so much about where I was from. Those were things that were kind of like in my head to write about. And so I went to the library and I was like, let me just get the, just check out some stuff that I haven't read in a long 
time. And I was like, oh my God, like it, it, it did more for me as a, as being an older poet than like when I was introduced in college to him, if that makes any sense. And I think the thing that really resonated with me is that it's like, I, growing up in Ohio, I didn't feel like there was, this is going to sound strange. There was anything to write about. I didn't feel like, what is there about my experience growing up in Ohio? I didn't, I didn't feel like it was anything like worth writing about. But when I saw that James Wright was writing about things that I've thought about mm -hmm. that like uh, mirrored my life growing up um, and a blue collar family, factory workers, that kind of thing. And also just sort of being inspired by the landscape and the hauntingness of Ohio and, and the, the Midwest area. I immediately went to it like a magnet. I was like, I can write about these things. I can. And so it just, it opened a door that I didn't know could be opened, if that makes any sense. That makes total sense. And so I know you're going to do some readings for us tonight, but I thought that it might be, and I think this kind of segues nicely into learning a little bit more about how you got into the craft of poetry. Um, I know you talked a little bit about, you know, James Wright being one of your inspirations, but it, I, I assume you probably kind of came to him as you were writing or something along those lines. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, when did you know you were going to be a poet or when did you start writing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really started taking, well, I would have to take it seriously. I really started it. I can kind of remember, I think I was like in seventh or eighth grade and we had to actually have like a, we, we did a thing on poetry and um, like we had to like write limericks and sonnets and things like that it was just it was just an assignment to see how you would do and then there was like write a free form you know and I can't really exactly remember what I wrote about but <laughs> to this day I remember because my parents were super offended they um my my English teacher at that time said that she wanted to submit it to like a youth anthology my poem if it was true that I did not um plagiarize it so apparently they thought that my stuff was so good that there's no way someone in seventh grade wrote it, wow. I guess. So that was when I realized, I, wow, maybe I'm good at this, yeah. you know? And so that actually, that's what introduced me to it in some, in some strange sort of way. And so it, it lit a fire under me. What's really funny is that when I was growing up, to make a little bit of that horror segue, mm. I was a huge Stephen King fan. Mm. Like many kids my age, 1989 was when Pet Cemetery came out, the movie, which made me get to the books. So I was already falling in love with horror and all of that. And then when I found that I had this weird little knack for poetry, I actually, I tried to write like short stories. I tried to be like a little Stephen King. It, it didn't work out. But what I found was this other thing that I could do. And I sort of segued into that. And I think that, you know, then through high school and all of that, you know, I wrote bad youth poetry you know, teenage angst kind of stuff and probably did that in college too. Ooh. So it was all just then discovering other poets who I identified with, who were doing what I was doing or, or, or were writing about things that sparked me. And um, yeah, kind of in a way emulating that and then trying to put my own voice into it. And so you kind yeah. of talked a little bit about before how Ohio's always been an inspiration to you mm -hmm. and how you were a big horror lover when you were younger. Would you say that horror is a, a one of the pinnacle inspirations to some of this poetry, or at least it was at that point in your life? I think it's, it, 
It's a really good question because sometimes I, I feel like it's something that I always go back to that sort of inspires me. But at the same time, I feel like the horror and those supernatural elements or things are the metaphor mm -hmm. on top of it. Sure. You know, there are things that inspire me, but it's like for me to sort of explain things that I'm feeling or things that I'm inspired by, horror is such a great way to sort of explain it. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and it's like, and I think that that's been something that's been done since the beginning of time in a way. You know, it's like using horror and ghosts and, and the supernatural is not some sort of new thing, especially to poetry. It's just not. Right. You mm -hmm. know, so I feel like I'm kind of just following a very long tradition of, of poets who've done this. All right. So yeah, let her rip. Grab my book. <laughs> Okay, so um, I thought, I mean, I might as well just uh, read the, um, the title poem from the ghosts. Uh, oh, no, How Ghosts Travel. I'm sorry. It's so funny because when I first wrote the manuscript, it was called um, Ghosts of Ohio. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I nixed it because I thought it was too regional. Yeah, this is still a very Ohio poem, though, and it's called How Ghosts Travel. I've seen ghosts move like liquid, like rain creeping through a crack in a window. This is how they enter and rearrange the furniture, turn the faucets on, peel the sheets from the bed. They understand the engine of running water and ride the currents, the channels and connections that tie Ohio together. It's a slippery secret that Lake Huron shares with Erie, and Erie can't resist, runs its mouth to the, to the mommy, the Sandusky and Cuyahoga, a thousand souls sliding down the state. Look at the St. Mary's River rushing out of Mercer County, only to return again with a handful of souvenirs. Stowaway souls on their way to Fort Wayne. This is how the dead travel, attaching their energy to the rising tides of Indian Lake, shifting their weight until they reach the Shelby Reservoir. They dissolve into foam on the surface of Raccoon Creek, charged particles bending the tides, rippling into the great Ohio. They touch the shore of Kentucky, take a human shape, and walk again. It explains the inexplicable, how boys that drown in the little Miami can ch chase the pretty girls playing in the suburbs of Cincinnati, how a man shot on the docks of Cleveland can roam the empty homes of Lexington. I love it so much. Mm -hmm. That poem, and then a couple of others in this collection, it just made me, it's so connected to water. It has such imagery with water. And I, it, a lot of some, a lot of the early poetry, especially in the part one of your collection has a lot of ties to the water. And it seems that a lot of those poems are also tied to your youth. And so I was just curious to know if how water speaks to you, why water speaks to you, kind of how you use it in your poetry is so beautiful. I wanted to kind of explore that a little bit. Sure. Uh, well, I grew up um, in Toledo, Ohio, so basically right on Lake Erie. I was, you know, my, my, my family's like a boating, fishing family. So it was just ingrained into me, just um, the Great Lakes and all of that. Um, so, so it is actually kind of funny. I think it's sort of like maybe rubbed off on me in a strange kind of way. Because um, I didn't even really think about it with that poem about like my childhood, but what really sort of sparked that. It's really funny. I was inspired by, um, I, kinda, I just I kind of have to laugh because I was watching one of those like ghost hunting shows 
<laughs> and um, they were trying to explain there was like a haunting going on somewhere and they're like, well, no one died here. Nothing happened. And I don't know, maybe it's a bunch of bunk, but I thought it was super inspiring and poetic that they said, well, but your place is near a running stream of water. And they said it has been it is a it is a um, theory that ghosts can travel along water and visit other places. And this bulb just went off in my head and I was like, and Ohio being such, you know, the Great Lakes and the, the, the rivers that flow into things. And it just that poem just kind of after I looked at a map just happened kind yeah. of funny. So, th so that's all that. But yeah, I, I'm definitely yeah, grew up in that that area of the of the state. So it's there. Do you want me to go to um, the poem that it, the book was supposed to be named after? Yes. For all of our Ohio friends. Okay. So this is called uh, Ghosts of Ohio. Okay. So Ghosts of Ohio. When I was young, these stories would come and sit on the edge of my bed, like a mother looking after her child, a mother unaware that she is dead. The five cemeteries of Athens form a pentagram when connected on the map. And in the center is the university where the walls in Wilson Hall bleed, where a girl in room 428 still screams years after she died. Then there is the torso killer of Kingsbury Run, collecting limbs, leaving them in baskets and burlap bags along the Cleveland riverbanks. And when the sun goes down, headless shadows surface behind heart manufacturing under the Cuyahoga bridges. Even that hospital on the hill with its dark tuberculosis ward, condemned now and silent on summer nights, something moves on the top floor, a fluid shape in the window waves like curtains or a patient's gown. These things do not scare me anymore, not like waking to a new day unchanged from the day before, the ground thick with ice and apparitions at the window formed from last night's frost. I love that one. I've noticed this a couple times in this collection too. You have this way of setting, like setting this beautiful scene and story for me as the reader to follow. And then in one instant, you switch it up. And it's something so, you know, I've been following this beautiful story and then it's something so prophetic and, you know, like you know these things don't scare me anymore this is what scare you you, you you do that a couple times in here and i just it makes it so resonant mm -hmm. i love it thank I you so it. much yeah, yeah. yeah and, and i think that's like when i think about like how horror and stuff like that they're really just metaphors for other things mm -hmm. i mean really at the end of the day and you know, it's kind of funny. I mean, you grow up with these things that scare the crap out of you. And I think that like, I think I've heard you guys sort of talk about this in a way, or maybe they're conversations I've had with Andemic before is that it's like horror movies and horror literature are an escape and people find that really strange, but real life is so much scarier. Exactly right. And I think this might actually be the perfect poem to ask you this, because this is on my mind too, that, you know, a lot, a lot of these poems capture that beautiful small town feel of Ohio. You have some poems that, you know, capture that moment in small town Ohio, but then you have some poems that kind of pull out a little bit and capture different areas of the state, which I think this does so nicely. But when I sat and I read this poem, I'm like, wow, <laughs> our state has some horrific shit that went down. In <laughs> oh, it's true. And I'm, yeah. wondering, I'm wondering from your perspective, what makes Ohio such 
the the haunting ground a hotbed of hauntings god that's a well i mean it's like i'm no i'm I'm obviously no paranormal expert you know at all but um this is just a part of what i think is that it's like uh, ohio already has a lot of history but I'm going to just talk from my own perspective, where somebody who sort of grew up not really knowing where I fit in and kind of not really feeling like I fit in with this landscape, mm-hmm. the way I found how to fit in was finding the fantastical. And I'm wondering if other people did that in a way. It's like stories get created out of this need for them. So I think that when I was even like when I was in college and stuff like that, like like Andemic was saying, we went to college. We went to college in Bowling Green, Ohio. There's not a lot around there. So you kind of use your imagination. And when you use your imagination, those things actually bring bigger things. And it's like, oh, well, there's a story about that. And there's an urban legend about that. And so it kind of makes your quote unquote boring surroundings seem so much more bigger and and more um, mythological more in a way. Yeah. I'm also so I'm always sort of, I guess, searching for the, the complexity that I need, you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I, I've also heard the phrase Ohio gray used before. Just that imagery of an overcast, very gray kind of atmosphere. And someone described it to me once as Ohio gray. I have never heard that. Yeah. And it it stuck with me for all of these years. And I think that it's just that just that too, the atmosphere of Ohio. It's not it's not a beautiful, sunny state, right? <laughs> it's pretty flat and it has pretty gray weather. And it, it, But it's also I, about finding the beauty in those weird yeah. sort of things. You know, I remember, you know, living in Bowling Green and driving to work and it's just flat land. But you see like one condemned barn in the distance, or you see that one weird tree between you and the highway, and that's poetry, that's haunting, that's beauty to me, and so it, like, that's what made my life in Ohio, I start, that's, that's what pulled that out of me, things that are, feel haunting to me, they, they put importance on it, and it gave me this new appreciation from where I, from where I grew up. I don't know if we've asked you this, but what's your favorite poem in this collection? Oh gosh, I guess it would sort of change from day to day. Um, so the two I read, um, th- there was another one that Andemic sort of mentioned that I did not put on the list, but I wouldn't mind reading it if you just, you yeah. Actually, actually, there's a couple in here that I really love. You know, what should what should we go with? Should we go with an actual horror movie poem, or should we go with like an abandoned place poem? I think both. I, I want to go with both. Both. We want both. <laughs> okay. So yeah, uh, let's since we're talking about abandoned places, and so this is not exactly a um, I don't know. I, I I guess you could call it a ghost poem, just in the sense of haunted places. There's no real ghosts in this poem, but I was gonna read Chippewa Lake, yes. which um, for people who don't know, um, in Ohio is an abandoned uh, amusement park that is still standing. It's it's gone. It's but. The roller coaster is still there. Lots of the rides are still there. So um, I, I don't mention any ghosts in the poem, but they're there. They have to be, right? So this is called Chippewa Lake. Everything will end, like the Big Dipper coaster at Chippewa Lake. 
It is not easy to imagine the Midway sleeping through summer or the Tom Sawyer steam engine beached on the shore, dead as an old carp. But these things happen. Factories close, families move, gears sigh one last time. The starlight ballroom is now a pile of steel bones from last year's arson, and the tumble bug tucked away in kitty land has toppled over from the weight of time, from teenagers sneaking in to climb on her arms. I know how this looks, these mechanical corpses left for cruel deaths, but the land will bring a kind and gentle passing that comes with the spring. The season creeps in with tight vines for the turnstiles, the chain link fences. It fills the empty spaces of the Ferris wheel with thick birch branches, coaxes the dogwoods to crane their necks through the slats of the coaster's track. All will surrender, but the delicate remains of a white-tailed deer left to decompose with the wild violets that bloom from the soft ribcage. See how the lift hill of the Big Dipper rises like a slender spine, reaching for the limbs of blue ash for the embrace of the day's last light. It's beautiful. Have you been to Chippewa Lake? I haven't. No. It's something that I feel like I really want to do. I, I, I think it's something that we've thought about, but we've never. I think part of us is like also really scared of like, I mean, we're, we're not kids anymore. We don't need to get arrested. We're going to go right. to jail. Right. Yeah. I get that. We need to go to jail. I'd love to go in there, but. Dan, yeah. I have a couple times when he comes, has come to visit, I plan like an itinerary of haunted locations mm. and we travel around and, you know, do, do a little bit of this, you know, Moonville Tunnel. I took him out there into the cemetery and. Um, She's the first one who took me to, um, well, not Ohio, but um, to uh, uh, what, what the Mothman. Uh, Point Pleasant. Oh. Point Pleasant, yes. Yeah. Point Pleasant something. So yeah. So I know anytime that I come out to Ohio and visit, we're going to see something super cool. We're going to do something. <laughs> well, I asked that because yeah. it was like the imagery of that poem was so vivid. Like it, that's another thing. It just feels like you're there looking at that. Mm -hmm. um, that that's what I always say about, about your work, Jay, is I feel your work and I see and experience your words. Mm -hmm. You, you suck me immediately into a scene and I'm surrounded by it. Oh, that, um, well, that means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I feel it. And this one to me, even though you're talking about remains, it doesn't feel hopeless to me. Even the way you no. write about you write about it with a, with a respect. Mm -hmm. um, there's a respect there. I, I, I'm trying to think of the other word I'm, I want to use. A, 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 a reverence, a quiet dignity mm -hmm. where it doesn't feel hopeless. Yeah. I mean, I, I, for some strange reason, I find that stuff still sort of beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, people are like, knock it down. Why is it still there? And I get their point. But at the same time, I'm like, no. Yeah. You know, I love, I, I, I don't know. There's something about it I love, you know? And it's it's funny because it's like, there's other people who are much more um, of those like explorers, you know, I don't want to say like urban explorers or whatever, but I mean, that's where I saw a lot of the photos, like those websites you go to, people who are actually brave enough to go into those places. Yeah. And it's like, there's, there's this, um, I don't know. I mean, it's all people who, they do go with a respect, you know, just to see how time has taken over a space. Yeah. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It so is. not all ghosts are scary. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Now um, you're going to, the one about the abandoned places you want to do next. 
or no, that was the abandoned was place my, one. That was my abandoned place, but I thought if we should segue into some horror movies. All right. So should I should I go with uh you probably want me to just read both, but tell me which one you want me to go to first. Should I do the Saturday afternoon horror movies or should I read my Jason Voorhees poem? Let's go Jason first. I really love the Jason Okay. So I was I was gonna read this earlier, but thinking that this is also another poem about how real life is so much scarier. So mm -hmm. it's just called Jason, but I always say it's my Jason Voorhees poem. <laughs> so people don't get it kind of twisted, but um, here's my ode to Jason. When I was around seven or eight, I would stay up late and watch the Friday the 13th movie marathon. Not many people know this, but Jason wasn't the killer in part one. It was his batshit crazy mother butchering camp counselors with creative flair, sometimes a bow and arrow, sometimes a clean knife thrust through the bottom of a cot. I can still see the blade tip bursting from Kevin Bacon's chest. And not many people know the summer before second grade, I stayed away from the basement, only tiptoeing down to grab a toy, then racing back up, taking the stairs two at a time. More than once I thought I'd die, my father's ice fishing boots behind the furnace, his flannel shirts hanging on the line were enough to trick my eyes, force a panicked wail loud enough to wake the neighbors, enough to make me wet my pants. Eventually, Jason and I drifted apart. He went to Manhattan, even outer space, and I went to college in Bowling Green, Ohio, where the farmland looked like Camp Crystal Lake, and my dorm mates were perfect Hollywood doubles for beer binges and midnight skinny dips. But, de but death came without the help of a hockey mask. Between winter and spring semester, students disappeared from campus. Coming home from Christmas break, their vehicles slipped on ice, flipped over their, the interstate guardrails. They vanished when sickness came, when chemo and meds interfered with biology and chemistry class. Even the actors in those Friday slasher flicks were meeting mortality off the screen. Harold, mutilated with a meat cleaver in part three, was crushed in his car on a California highway. And Mark, the wheelchair-bound heartthrob who took a machete to the face, lived on to fight AIDS until AIDS won. Then there was Brenda. After her corpse was thrown through a cabin window, she left Hollywood for a husband, five children, and pancreatic cancer. It's cancer of the pancreas that will take you the fastest. You start to decline before you know why. I've seen its handiwork in a hospice bed and watched the way flesh turns yellow when the liver capitulates. Still, it makes you wait. And it makes you wonder how you could ever be afraid of a movie marathon when you were seven or eight. <laughs> wow. It's yeah. Oh, so good. It's that, it's that thing you do. You set us up and then you twist it. And it's the same concept, but it's just elevated. Mm -hmm. It's so good. It's so good. I would, I would, I would rather be Chase than Jason than deal with cancer. Yes, I would. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. other people would feel the same way. God. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and those, those movies scared the pants off of me when I was a little kid. Yeah. Yes. Horribly. You know, <laughs> and now it's so weird to look back at it and be like, yay, I love it. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I'll just I'll just get into the, the next one. Um, so this is called Saturday Afternoon Horror Movies. And um, 
it's it's definitely my endemic poem. So um, here we go. Don't leave. The front yard is filled with death clinging to the elms, screaming underfoot. Besides, the sun won't be out today. It will sleep inside its crypt until the autumn tires of its stay. We have the living dead on local access, masked psychos with butcher knives on cable. We can slip some rum into our cider, drill the eyes into a jack-o'-lantern, and keep a tally of the body count. So you noticed the poltergeist in the kitchen throwing around dirty dishes, and the bed that goes unmade for days. I've just been too busy, tracking the noise like a pounding in the walls or in my chest. Something that is here, but gone. Tell me if you hear it over the chainsaws on the television. Tell me if you feel that chill like a specter just sat down in the corner. All these disturbances come crossing over when my mind wanders to the orbs and photographs, our long ago debates on what teases the lights on and off at midnight, what rattles the doorknobs one by one down the hallway. It must be so much more than the dead trapped and lost in boarded up farmhouses, the slippered feet of the old shuffling for centuries in condemned nursing homes. Maybe it's the power of a moment or a time, the power of a pain so great it left pieces to puncture our layers. We used to know how to waste a Saturday, your knee touching mine under a heavy blanket, the ghost of cigarettes still haunting the ashtrays, the wind like the beat of bat wings on the side of the house. There was a time when the fear of such things passing and changing was unreal to us, unreal like resurrected psychopaths or the way a teenage girl can't run through the woods without tripping. Stay and explain to me how that died. It did not die violently like blood splattering on the screen. It crawled down slowly to the living room floor to taste the dust, to let the choke of October settle in its throat. My favorite poem of all time. Yay. <laughs> I, so this is kind of a, it's specific to this poem, but I guess it's a more um, supernatural question for you. Okay. Uh, uh, you talk a lot about ghosts as like memories or uh, imprints, I guess, is the word I think of. So I wanted to hear your perspective on like your perception of ghosts. Uh, are they memories, feelings, emotions? Like, how do you perceive them? Because I see that a lot in your work. You feel like it's both. I mean, I... Again, I, I obviously I'm no expert, no, and no one knows for for real. I mean, I would love to think that there is a um, actual soul, a spirit mm -hmm. that is still around. I think that's part of what actually also um, sort of inspires me or draws me to ghost lore and things like that. We all want to hope that there's something on the other side, mm -hmm. and to experience something kind of gives us that hope in a way. So there is a part of me that that really definitely, I really hope that there are actual people and things that are haunting locations and can interact. And um, because I, I know that if I can be a ghost, I'm moving shit around. I'm, you're, you're going, you're going to see things move across the room. I'm going yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. Yep. But I also feel like there's gotta be something else too, where it's just, um, what they call like a residual haunting. Mm -hmm. um, th those things that it's like, it's not intelligent, but it's 
there's something happening and it's probably because something there's like an imprint, something that happened all the time over and over again. And so it just repeats still in some weird way, which is also kind of mind blowing when you think about it. Yeah. You know, in the, in the whole haunting thing, like something that, that, that occurred so often. Um, there's one of my other poems in here that I don't think, think we'll get to, but um, there was, where is it in Ohio, but where the, um, Back in the day, the fire departments would use um, horses, you know, to, but there's one of the um, old fire departments there that they sometimes still hear like horses neighing. Wow. There's, there's, there's there. one of those here in Columbus, uh, the yeah. fire, firefighters museum, fireman's oh. museum down on uh, 4th Street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they have a ghost horse. Yeah. So, yeah. So is it an actual ghost, like horse ghost? Or is it something because the horses have been there for so long and it's just this weird energy trapped? It yeah. imprints on the energy. That just blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Are we just oh. drinking or is there any other stuff? Well, Andemic did finish her Cosmo like probably like 15 minutes. Ago, yeah. So. <laughs> Blowing your mind. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I just, to, to answer your question though, I don't prescribe to know anything. I just know that these are things that sound super, super intriguing to me. And why not just explore that? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And life yeah. is so much more interesting. Believing all those things are possible, I think. Oh, oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Without I say it. believe what you want as long as you're not hurting anyone. UFOs, Bigfoot, let's do it. Let's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. We're doing it. Yeah. I, I've I've had I've had some crazy conversations with with Andemic about weird things um, like uh, <laughs> oh what would you call it uh, what what do you call like things like Bigfoot and cryptids and cryptids yes I think I blew your mind a while back when I heard like about the latest cryptid that people are talking about have you guys yet talked about like the 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 doghead people <laughs> that's right no <laughs> do share so, do share well. So the only time I ever heard about it, because uh, we, we were talking earlier about my, my love for Batman. I know this is like a weird segue, but one of the um, writers on Batman comics right now on Twitter was somebody was asking what was the weirdest thing he'd ever seen. And I don't think this is a joke, but he said, where was he driving through? Was it Michigan or basically one of these far up north places? And he says, I, I shit you not, driving through somewhere and there was someone standing on the side of the road, human body, Full dog head. What? I was well, alone. I went by it. I never went back. And I just thought, how would I feel? His name's James Tynan the Fourth. If anybody wants to look this up, <laughs> but he said he was driving through somewhere and so I think he said he was like had like a, a a flannel shirt on, this thing. But it was human body, but full on dog head, and that scared the crap out of me. Well, there is there is a cryptid in Michigan called the Michigan Dog Man. So maybe that's what he's maybe he was driving through Michigan. I was like, was it Michigan? Was it Wisconsin? Was it one of those? But I love all that stuff. Yes. And you know, who's to say? Who's to you know? say? Yeah. I hope there is, I hope there is a dog man out there. I my thing is we're still finding new species all the time. Yeah. Right? Who's to say these mm -hmm. things aren't hiding deep in the woods or and hey, if I woke up and I didn't have to interact with humans, I wouldn't. <laughs> that's good. I'd yes. be in the woods. <laughs> yeah, that's well. That's what your would dream. your what would your reaction be 
if you were driving alone at night and saw a dog head person? Um, what would you well, do? I would shit my pants, oh. but then my dumbass would probably stop to investigate. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. I would at least stop and back the car up. And if I were in the car, I would be repeating, fuck no. Yeah. Fuck no. Yeah, go, yeah. go. Yeah. Situation. Yeah. <laughs> so the witch would be in the passenger seat saying, endemic, what are you doing? Go, go. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be like, wait a minute, what was that? Now, what would you do? Um, I would also shit and want to go back at full full speed ahead. Uh yeah, because I can imagine being in a car with you when that happened. Oh my god, Anne, just go. What are you doing? Go! What I sound Ah! like. That is exactly what you you would that's what you would do. (laughs) And then we would talk about it later. Uh Uh-huh. Like, we should have gone back. Uh, and I would say, I told you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna next time I come out, we're driving through Michigan. All right. Fine. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, okay. So, do you uh, do you wanna? I I really I would love it if you could read this whole entire book, but I also want people to buy, buy this it. book. Yeah. Buy it. So That's let's perfect. talk about your new stuff. Um, what are you working on? What are you? What has inspired the new things? No, so one of the poems I was going to read is from my new book, but I feel like it it fits so well into what we're discussing that I, I feel like I have to read it. So okay. uh, if, if you can if you can indulge me just for a moment, though, the my current book is called The God of San Francisco. I live in San Francisco now. And so the whole collection is also a little bit of my, like the last collection was my love letter, Ohio. This is sort of my um, love letter to San Francisco. And as a gay man being in San Francisco is just very inspired also by history. And you're, you're, uh, it's, it's all around you, the queer history in San Francisco. So um, a lot of it is about the HIV AIDS epidemic and um, queer struggles, LGBT struggles and all of that, which doesn't really fit into this. But the other thing is, is I, I, I have a lot of San Francisco poems in here of other stories that I find absolutely fascinating. And I put them in the book because it's a part of San Francisco history. And so uh, one of them I really wanted to read was called Coffin Windows. And just to give you a little bit of background, um, I'll, I will read the, um, the introduction to it. The introduction to the poem has um, some lines from a New York Times article. So I'll just read that first. Um, Last month, a construction crew unearthed a small cast iron coffin in a neighborhood here that once housed a cemetery. Thousands of the city's dead were removed in the early 1900s when politicians and developers pushed for more housing. So um, San Francisco obviously was, you know, well, kind of peninsula onto itself, but as more people came and more people came, they actually dug up tons of bodies and moved them out of the city. There's, um, there's a city outside of San Francisco in the South Bay called Colma. And one of the funny things about Colma is that there are more dead people in Colma than living people because yeah. there are so many cemeteries and many of those cemeteries are where they moved a lot of the bodies so this is about that and i could fill in any blanks but this is called coffin windows tiny coffin of bronze and lead two windows for peering in or looking out and here she is incorrupt the casket airtight so nothing could touch her or steal her youth away Forever three years old when the construction workers find her buried below a concrete slab in the garage. 
The neighborhood was a graveyard, the city a cemetery, and it had been a century since San Francisco cleared the dead. Hundreds of thousands of bodies exhumed to make way for the living, for their bars and saloons, for tunnels and trains and buildings to block the sun. So when the earth is moved again, we find her forgotten, left behind, indigo flowers and in her blonde locks, ivory christening dress and baby's breath. If she was ever alone and scared, it is difficult to tell as she slumbers like an iris waiting for spring. The things she must have seen, her family plucked from the ground, the harvest of tombstones, and what she must have felt when the San Andreas ripped apart. Her ankle boots kicking the coffin lid, City Hall, the Palace Hotel, 500 city blocks extinguished like a match. Was she frightened when the fires burned and raged for three days? No, she knew it was only death, coming to do what it does, entombing the past, enshrining the years gone by. She held that cold hand long before the living arrived to plant their new roots. Brave child wandering ahead of us to explore the unknown, little pilgrim, immigrant, immigrant to darkness, pioneer free of fear, stem a purple nightshade in her palm. Wow, beautiful. So yeah, that was actually a real thing that happened in the city. There was a family that was going to do some construction on their garage, and when they broke the uh, the concrete and went down, they hit something and they didn't know what it was. And when they looked, it was a coffin with a window and there was a little girl in it. And uh, yeah, it, it, it made the news, obviously the New York Times. And uh, what they ended up finding out is that it was a cemetery that this neighborhood had been built on. And they did move all of the coffins and the stones, but they missed one. Wow. And it was the little girl and the family. Their whole family was moved probably to Colma, mm -hmm. but somehow they forgot her until they found her later. And this was before the 1906 earthquake when she was buried. And so it was just sort of inspiring to me to think about this little girl on the ground and all the things that had happened while she was there. Oh, the 1906 earthquake, but then the, the, the later earthquakes and all the things that have happened. And she's kind of un, uh, almost unaffected because she's already experienced this. So she knows, she knows. Yeah happening I love and, and physically I mean they, they said in this article that she when they found her because the lid was so airtight she looked like just a little girl in the yeah and she and she was wearing her christening gown and yeah I think that yeah because I think they said that they should probably die on her three they buried her in like a little baptismal christening gown and they had flowers in her hair the flowers still looked so it's creepy, <laughs> it's that, creepy. that is that just reminds me also of Claudia so uh, yeah. Now, Claudia. Anne Rice, Claudia. Claudia. Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what? Are, co are coffin windows a common thing? I, you know, that's a, that's a good question, but at least in this, yeah, it, 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 she was in a little tiny child-sized coffin that had a window. Window in it. So you could, you could see, yeah. So I, yeah, I don't, I have no idea, but I guess it must have been a bigger thing back then, yeah. That's really interesting. Um, well, maybe also um, there was, I think it did happen quite a bit or at least enough uh, that people were buried uh, that weren't really dead. Oh, yeah. So maybe it was a safety precaution. 
Um, well, that's a whole other creepy thing to think about, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, Jay, this is kind of a question that segues a little into horror, and it's kind of, I think, a good fit for what you just read, too. Um, I know in the How Ghosts Travel, and it feels like maybe not explicitly in that poem, but maybe there's some remnants, some ideas of it in, in the poem you just read, but you talk about kind of religion um, a, a bit. And I think that I, in my experience, in my research, and just coming up with some of the themes for this podcast, I found religion come up time and time again. Um, and it feels like religion and horror are so intertwined in some way. So I'd love to hear maybe your perspective, if you have a perspective on that, um, you know, why are religion and horror so related? Well, I mean, I'm only going to speak for myself, but I mean, I grew up Catholic mm -hmm. and um, do it. <laughs> I think that, wait, what was that? I said, that'll do it. <laughs> that'll do it. Yeah. Um, so for me, especially um, growing up, you're already sort of um, conditioned to believe the supernatural to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's why I think that things that when I was young scared me so badly because I grew up in a religion that had you believe that the dead could be resurrected and there were demons and all of that. So it was not a hard thing for me to believe. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it's also like, I, so I think that's why it's so very intertwined to begin with. Um, and, and not, not, you know, not to be disrespectful to religion at all, but it, it is all still supernatural. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to, so it seems really weird to me that people can like, you know, believe in, in, in a Christian teaching or, or any other kind of religious teaching, but then not believe in ghosts or any of that kind of thing. So it yeah. seems a little you know, far-sighted to me, yeah. but, um, so, so for me, yeah, growing up Catholic, it's just, oh, it's just ingrained mm -hmm. into me, yeah. um, and to me, it's just, it's another sort of thing that inspires me to think outside of, um, the day-to-day -day reality, yeah. because, um, just as, just as, like, I find ghosts in the supernatural and horror to be very inspiring, I find religious to all, religion to also be an inspiring thing, because, at the end of the day, when you're when you're a poet or whatever it is you're writing about, we're trying to see what's at the, uh, the thing that's underneath, right? Mm -hmm. As a poet, we're trying to explain things or try to put meaning to things, and what else is is the same thing? It's religion. It's it's religion is always trying to help us find meaning and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I always find myself going back to that um, as as another metaphor for lots of things that I've experienced. You know, mm -hmm. it's a touchstone. I can't escape it. I mean, I don't consider myself religious now. I don't consider myself Catholic now, but I, it's, it's ingrained in me. I can't get away from it. So sure. it's just there. <laughs> so should we talk some horror? Let's talk. Let's talk. Cause I've been wanting to talk about horror for a while. I, I, I've told, I've told Adamic, I, I listen to y'all, you know, on your podcast. <laughs> I'm like, I want to talk. I want to be in this conversation. <laughs> I sometimes do actually talk back to you guys. Good. I love that. I love that. Okay, so we'll let, let's start with the most basic of questions. What is your favorite horror movie? Mm. I knew you were going to ask this. Uh-huh, you and knew it. I came prepared. So um, my favorite horror movie uh, is Poltergeist. Yeah. Oh. And I 
think that is because it was the first, to, to go back to the other conversations we were having, it is one of the first horror movies I saw as a child that scarred me so badly <laughs> that to look back at it on this day, it almost feels like a badge of honor. <laughs> so that that movie kind of like, you know, I, I, I try to watch it at least once a year, especially around Halloween time. There are things about it that are quite dated. I'm not going to lie. But there's other things about it that as an adult still creep me out and also bring back that childhood thing about me. That, that that child that's still in me that creeps me out and scares me. So what creeped you out the most in the movie? Uh, well, one of the, th well, I think um, it's mainly because that movie, there, there are like actual kids in that movie. And so when you're watching it, I mean, the, the main character is kidnapped in, you know, in a TV. Yeah, I probably I was probably Carol Ann's age when I watched that. And so when you watch horror movies, these are things that happen to adults. And when <laughs> I saw it, these were things that were not only happening to the adults, but they were happening to kids and scared the crap out of me. The other thing that I think also scared me and probably had a lot to do with my Catholic upbringing, um, you know, also knowing that's like death is inevitable. There are such things as demons. There are such things as evil spirits. I also, my grandparents also um, got a, probably like three out of the four of my grandparents died when I was really young. So I think that also had an effect on me that I was like, death is just like this around the corner. And then when I watched this thing where there are kids being tormented by this stuff, I think it just, it put this mark on me that there was always something waiting in a, in a closet there's mm -hmm. always something waiting under the bed. So yeah, I think that is why. Um, and, and ghosts to me also with that growing up Catholic seems so much more real to me than anything. Mm -hmm. I could have pictured it. I was waiting. I was waiting for a clown to come to life. I was, yeah. you know, yeah. I was waiting for the coffins to come flying out of the concrete. Like I just knew it was going to happen, you know? So yeah, that's, and I don't know if this is also a thing, if I just, um, I, I was, you know, I was going to look this up before we even like had this uh, conversation and we, we, you guys need to research this and find out if I'm wrong, but Poltergeist, when it came out, was rated PG. And what? I believe that there was no PG-13 rating for a long time. And I think that was one of the movies that created the PG-13 rating because <laughs> either things were PG or rated R and it wasn't crazy enough to be an R-rated movie. So they just made it PG. And so I think about that now and I'm like, no. No. Look at look it up on IMDB or whatever. It is rated PG. Wow. I'm looking at I'm looking it up. Yeah, and I'm just looking it so up right find, now. Yep, find out if if the PG what created the PG 13 rating. It was one of those movies. It says uh there is a source that claimed that the original um uh had been given an R rating, but there was some uh, I don't know, some Hollywood fast talking or something that got it down to a PG. But you're right. It is the reason that PG-13 was invented. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember watching that movie on TV with my mom. My mom let me watch it. And the last 10 minutes of that movie when everything is going insane and the house is getting sucked into the ground, I didn't watch it. I think I had my ears covered and my eyes closed and everything from there on was crazy yeah. and I, I scared the crap out of me. Yeah. yeah. So. 
It said that Stephen Kirk himself had a hand in creating PG-13. Oh, wow. That, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Tangina. She's my favorite. Uh, Tangina's my favorite, yes. It lies to her. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was actually really good. I, you know, I she can probably do a better Tangina than I do, but you know what one of my favorite lines is from that movie? Where um, they're trying to get her out of the whatever realm she's in. Yeah. And Tangina says, tell her to give her a spanking. Like, you know, hit kids. You know what I'm talking about. I, I do. love that. Oh, man. Oh, my gosh. So, so, that, you... would be my, so that would be my, my absolute favorite horror Thanks. movie. And I always feel a little weird saying that because of that reason, because it is rated PG. But <laughs> so you said that was one of the very first horror movies you got into. Mm -hmm. When would you say that you you knew you liked horror? For a very long time, a lot of horror movies stressed me out. Mm. I don't know if it's like maybe I got to junior high, high school, and they just didn't, you know, that childhood thing went away. But I remember all kinds of movies from back in the day that just, you know gave me heart palpitations. I mean, the other thing that would really scare me is like, um, and I think maybe y'all talked about this, but you'd go like to the old video store and you'd go to the horror mm -hmm. section and you'd see, you, you would just see the boxes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I think that also <laughs> brings back a memory, but I don't, yeah, I don't think it's until I got older and I kind of was able to shake off all that childhood stuff that I got into it and then really got into it. And I just, you know, loved trying to watch any kind of horror movie I could. Now, are you, so that makes me wonder, there are tons of horror hobbies out there. Mm -hmm. What would you say is your favorite horror hobby? Oh gosh. Um, well, I mean, I'd like to think that a bit of a variety in a way, because I mean, horror movies are obviously the most accessible, right? Mm -hmm. If you're um, anything that's like, anything that has anything to do with horror, the supernatural on TV, I'm watching it. Uh, I will, I, anything on the travel channel that has to do with ghosts. I was telling Andemic the other day that I have been sucked into this, this Sasquatch documentary on Hulu. I love <laughs> that. Um, so, so all of that stuff, um, any kind of books, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys just did your podcast on Anne Rice. I interviewed the vampire of my formative years mm -hmm. was a big thing. Um, as far as that kind of stuff, but the other thing is, is um, Andemic and I have explored a lot of places, she more than I, obviously, but um, we, we always, I love going to places and kind of like soaking up that weird horror ghost vibe. Yeah. Um, we went to the Stanley Hotel together. Yeah. Um, that is going to be one of the, my, my favorite memories ever, but um, we, we also went to the... Um, what you and I spent the it? night in the uh, the Mansfield Reformatory. Mansfield, yes. That was um that was my, name for my Christmas yeah. gift one year. Jay got us tickets to spend the night in there. That's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. I loved it. Now, now where I live now, I don't feel like there's enough opportunities for that, um, especially right now. But um, so I don't get to, I don't get the opportunity to do that kind of stuff. But whenever I'm back in Ohio, we make sure we do it because I love that stuff. So any kind of that exploration, love it. Awesome. You, we talked on the last podcast about Chalky. I went to see Chalky with you. Yes. Um, do you think, I wonder if it's still there. You know, it's funny because I tried to do like a Google search with as many different Chalky things in Ohio. and all, I could not find anything. 
I just know it was something that went on forever, though. It was an urban legend for a very long time. And I don't know if that was also, like, in combination with the other urban legends. I, I didn't get a chance to listen to your most recent podcast about the urban legends. I probably will by the time this one airs. But did you get a chance to talk about, like, any of the weird urban legends where you would go to someone's house and if you flick your lights on and off or do anything, they'll come out yes. with like baseball yes. bats. Or... I did talk. I, I, I couldn't remember where that one was either, but I remembered yeah, we pulled in the driveway and then they're supposed to come around the sides and like get your car. Yes. Yes. So that must be like a national urban legend because I found that that happens in other places. Really? Yeah. Interesting. You know, like they'll turn the lights on and they'll look out and they'll, it's creepy and. Yeah. Okay. Tell I me. remember Chalky and that thing being in the same area. They were in the same area. Um, I just found, I think I just found the Chalky thing um, because the name of the road sounds familiar. Gun Road. That sounds very familiar. Well, and then we went to the Tontogany Cemetery and everyone was scared. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't want to talk about that. No, that's got, no. Especially since I, I was the first to run. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. <laughs> I mean, we heard dogs in the distance, very angry dogs barking. Remember that? Yes, I do. I do. And we're in like this little cemetery. And so I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> well, that's a very like, real fear. Like if, the, if there really are just dogs coming at. I mean, it was off in the distance, but my imagination was already going. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember, did we just go there because it was a cemetery or was there a story associated with it? don't if there was a story it was a very vague story because i remember people talking about how tintagony the the cemetery in tintagony was supposed to be super haunted yes that's all i knew and it was in between bowling green and perrysburg where we worked so it was a very short drive and when you get into tintagony it the, the cemetery is not fenced in you can just park and you just yeah into it. but yeah we would and that was in my dad's old volvo that the oh. um, remember the the moon roof, the sunroof was broken and it was stuck open, and then it started to rain. I got in so much trouble. Oh, you know what? Now that you do say something, now that you're saying about how much trouble you got into, now I remember. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that, that, I don't remember getting rained on, but I remember <laughs> you freaking out about how much trouble you were getting into. But while we're on it, do you remember Holcomb Road? I no, uh, it sounds familiar, but I don't think so. That was like if you went on the other side of 75 where there was the mire. Okay. There was this weird like road that you'd go down and it was just trees. But the legend there was that there was a bus crash that killed all the kids on board. And if you go down that road, you can um, sometimes hear the bus. You can hear kids laughing or running. Did we go down that road? We went down and obviously we didn't see anything, but of course we did it one night, like, let's just be jackasses and go down Holcomb Road and probably stopped or whatever, but, you know. Well, I drank that memory all the way away. Really? <laughs> I don't have, I don't have a, a, no, wow. Yeah, that one I remember much more than some of the others. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, here's what I want to know, since um, we're talking about sojourns to, to haunted places or whatever. Um, I know your favorite slasher is Michael Myers, yes. Well, that's a, you know, maybe right now, but I would say it's a toss up between Michael and Jason. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, but yeah. tell, tell everyone um, about your horror pilgrimage 
to oh. the, the Halloween locations. It was, you have, have you, have you been? I've been to the Strode house and the Myers house in, in okay. Pasadena. Oh my God. It was so much fun. So, uh, God, a couple Halloweens ago or like, like around Halloween time, went to LA. I, I have a friend who um, lived in LA for a while and is also a giant horror nerd, just like I am. So he knows where a lot of these locations are. We, he took me to the Nightmare on Elm Street house, um, which is just absolutely fascinating. Um, across the street is actually the other house where um, Johnny Depp's character lived. So it's completely like it is in the movie, which th the Johnny Depp house is actually for sale right now. If what? Interested. Wow. Yeah. So if you got like $3 million, <laughs> you know, for Johnny Depp's old house. But um, yeah, so that's there. And then a few um, streets over from that is the, it's the house that she's babysitting at. So not the Strode house, but the... Um, Annie Brackett was she was babysitting, babysitting for Tommy. Tommy was it Tommy, Tommy. Miller? The Doyle House. Doyle. The Tommy Doyle House. Yeah. We've just all lost credibility. So, we did. So <laughs> that is actually all in LA, the Doyle House, the Nightmare on Elm Street house. But then a friend of my friend was like, Well, if you want to see all the other stuff, you have to go towards Pasadena. So mm -hmm. that is where the Michael Myers house is at. Um, that is also where um, the the hardware store that they stop at. Oh yeah, where like she pulls up and the alarm is going off. She's like, "Oh my God, it's my dad!" and has to like <laughs> put out the joints. And so that is there. And so it's incredible. And and this other guy who is a friend of a friend is so like knows everything that also parts of Halloween too were filmed there. He showed us like the little back roads he goes to where he goes into the one house and steals the knife. I you know, the, the old woman is like, uh, uh, Night of Living Dead is on. Yeah. So we saw where that was at. He's like, oh, and this is the street where um, the other uh, Michael Myers gets hit by the car. And what's, do you remember his name? The one that she wanted to take to the dance? Ben Tramer. Remember in Halloween 2, they hit the guy with they the hit mask Ben on? Tramer. Yeah, that was Ben Tramer. Yeah. So we found the street where Ben Tramer gets hit by the car. <laughs> And so then once we did all of that and I was geeking out and they were like, well, if we just drive like another 45 minutes and God, I wish I could remember what city it's in. It's like, we can actually see the poltergeist house. I was like, please, please, can we go? And so we did it. And it was the most surreal experience of my life, I think, mm -hmm. because it was there. Now, little changes, obviously, but you can tell it is the poltergeist house. And I just like it this thing from my childhood that scarred the hell out of me. Yeah. And here it is. And so um, there, there have been talks about going back because there are so many other places that I have not seen that are from just Halloween horror lore that I just can't wait. I have to so, ask you, was it how, when you went to see the Myers house, did it hit mm -hmm. you like it hit me that it's now an insurance agency? Yes, it did. <laughs> However, the alternative was it would be just gone. All gone, sure. true, sure. So, um, yeah, because they they moved it. It was actually somewhere else, and they did they they saved that house and moved it. And so it's not in the original location, but it's there. And I I'm not gonna lie that I I made my trek all the way around the house like little Michael did, looking in through the windows. Did you? The way the, oh yeah, just because I remember the scene of like how the camera goes and how mm -hmm. he looks in through the window and then goes in through the back and. Yeah. Oh, I did it. Oh, oh that's I awesome. That. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So ran across the street too, between the Doyle house 
Didn't isn't there a video I of you did. doing that? Yes. Yeah, not very well. Yeah. So so yeah, so Lindsay's house is right across from the Doyles, just like it is in the movie. And I was like, yeah, I'm here. I don't know when I'll ever be back. So I just decided to recreate that scene where she's running from what? Lindsay's house over to the Doyles' house, limping, screaming for Tommy to open the door. <laughs> I love it. But we were taken to um, I think it's on Mulholland, where there is um on Mulholland Drive, you can see this whole view of the city. I did not know this, but it is uh, the scene where they shot E.T. and where he first comes when he's when he is running, but it shows the whole like city and it's not right at all. But they use that as a like when he's looking at the neighborhood, I guess that is on Mulholland. So I just had really great nerd friends to show me. All oh, God, that that is awesome. amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. love that. And, and, and the other, well, the other thing that we did when we were there, because they have the Universal Horror Nights, mm-hmm. which if you've not gone, you have got to go and do. And it just happened that the, the year that we went, they had a poltergeist house. Oh, they God. reconstructed the entire poltergeist house. And so when you walk in, it is exactly the same. There's a little girl in front of the TV. Wow. All the same special effects. <sighs> and we had advice from someone who said, when you get there, just go to the back of the park first because everybody's going to, because they would open the park at night for the Halloween thing. They said, everybody's going to go do the, the haunted houses at the beginning of the thing. Just go all the way to the back. So we did. We walked all the way back where the poltergeist house was at. We walked right in and it was so much fun. We just got back in line again. And walked through <laughs> yeah. again. I want to yeah. do that. That sounds awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> well, we have a very famous haunted house that they do. Um, at the old mint here in San Francisco, where they actually, they, it's it's like a historical site now, but there is a very famous drag queen here in San Francisco. Her name is Peaches Christ. Oh yeah. And huge, huge horror, you know, uh, fan has, has worked with Elvira, oh. but um, Peaches Christ does her annual haunted house. Uh, I think it's called Terror Dome, but if you can, you can experience it two different ways. You can just do the regular, go through the haunted house, or they give you, I think it's either you wear a sticker or a bracelet. I've never done it, but you can have the amplified experience where if you have the bracelet or this thing, the, the people who work there can mess with you. No, they can grab you. They can kidnap you. They can take you away. They will separate you from your people you came with. You'll find them later. You'll be covered in blood. Okay. So here's my question for you, sir. You've lived in San Francisco for how long? And this is the first time hearing of Terror Dome. You know, I don't really remember how long they've been doing this incarnation of it. And so I, I don't know why I've never gone, but um, hopefully, hopefully soon I have to do this. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I need to come out there and do it with you. Yeah. Beatrice Christ is also the same one who came up with um, these uh, uh, scary clown that you can do, which I don't think has been a very new thing, but we thought about doing it for uh, one of my friends and then we didn't do it. But you can basically pay a clown to go and wish a happy birthday or do whatever. <laughs> and they go and they're really scary looking clowns. You can also pay to, um, if you want to pay extra, they will give your friend a gift. Um, so they can bring wine or alcohol. They will also bring a box of cigarettes. Ooh. One of the funniest things I thought that they they will let you do if you pay the clown extra is to give your friend um, old porn. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I thought that would be hysterical. Send a clown to someone's house to say happy birthday and here, I got you some old porn. <laughs> here, um, sir, have some old porn. Wow. <laughs> so um, let's, I'm going to circle just to another thing. I, you are a huge comic book collector and reader. Are there any horror comics that you're into that you like that you've read? Yeah. Oh gosh. I, you know, I wish that there was, I, and I know that there's stuff out there, but I'm such a superhero nerd that yeah. I, I haven't really gotten into that as much. Um, <laughs> God, the, the closest I really got was when you got me into Empire of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Which is a George Romero comic. So yeah, but other than that, I unfortunately haven't. I've definitely seen some things that I've wanted to pick up there used to be back in the day there used to be a child's play chucky comic i think oh <laughs> really price now so yeah but that would probably be the closest thing i would want to get to so how do you feel about a crossover genre uh zombie vampire like a like a crossover world i guess at the end of the day it's like my my uh, as i get older my thought about a lot of these things is who cares it's like, you know, I know there's like the people who are like purists and, oh, it's like, oh, why, why do this? Like, you still have like your old George Romero world. Yeah. It doesn't change anything. Right. And if someone finds enjoyment out of that, God bless them. And, and it brings them, it maybe brings a vampire lover to George Romero and I'm all for that. So. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the way I think about it. You know? Well, I do too, um, because, so you know, I love runners and walkers, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of Romero purists hate the runners. Um, yeah. But I love them both for very different reasons. So I totally and it get doesn't, that. And it doesn't change anything. No. You know? Yeah. Although so if they're running, we're all fucked. That's yeah, all I'm saying. That's the thing. Like running zombie is a whole, it's a game changer. Yeah. Did you see the trailer for the Zack Snyder zombie movie? Yes. And I cannot wait. <laughs> I have been waiting for I that movie for years. What's it called again? Uh, Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. That's right. I'm yeah. intrigued. I, I will admit, though, I, when I saw the, the zombie tiger, I may have rolled my eyes a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah, but you know what? Walking Dead made that shit okay, and mm-hmm. ooh, boo-hoo, the tiger died. Uh, the, the tiger cartoon died. It's a cartoon. They stopped drawing it. Don't get me yeah. started. I've got feelings. Why they couldn't have sprung for a live actor, like yeah. a live car, like a live tiger actor, I'll never know. Never know. I'll never know. Yeah, so the the, the Walking Dead tried to stay as true to the comic books as they could. There's another thing that was a comic book. Mm-hmm. And and there was Ezekiel. That character did have a pet tiger. He did. And they he decided, did. we're going to put this into the TV show as well. And when they introduced that tiger, and it basically looked like a... It looked like Tony the Tiger on all fours. It did. It looked like an animated Lion King. Yes. And that was when yes. I kind of started getting to the point where I stopped watching... The Walking Dead. One of my friends actually texted me after the episode where the tiger died, and they said, "I bet you're happy." It's like <laughs> I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled the tiger is. They stopped drawing it. Boohoo. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm, in the, more... I'm the same as you because that show for so many years, so well done, so mm-hmm. well done, and then a cartoon tiger. Come on, yeah. it's like they were phoning it in a tiger. Time. Yeah, Cartoon Tiger and everyone from the original series was just going. 
Yeah. And it's like, you know, I don't want to watch things that are just like a soap opera. I mean, God bless. I know that this is just my opinion. No, I know. People are still into it. I love it. That's great. But for me, it was like everybody I liked on the show was leaving and yeah, people that would show up. And I didn't care. I didn't didn't want to invest in new people, really. Thank Uh, you. Yeah. You know, that was one of the other things. And yeah, I don't want to make this like a whole like Walking Dead conversation, but after a while, it was like every episode was just gunfire. Yeah. Machine guns. Things exploding. Yeah. Where are the dead people? Exactly. I want to see them fight the dead people, not each other. Yeah. Yes. So that was another thing that started to turn me off after a while. And Yeah. I agree. I but, but overall, I mean, the, the first few seasons of that are Excellent. a masterpiece, I think. Excellent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree. There, there, there's also just so much now to kind of keep your attention span to. Oh, I mean, God. I feel like we have so many more options of things to watch and things to read that it has to, it has to keep your attention. Or I'm just, I, I have to move on to something else because there's so much. There is so much. What, what are you watching yeah. besides your Sasquatch uh, documentary? <laughs> God, what else am I watching that's like in that uh, supernatural horror realm? God, I have to think. Uh... I think I, you know, the, the funny thing is like during the pandemic, I got so sucked into like serial killer documentaries <laughs> yes. and Net, Netflix has the market cornered. Well, one of the ones that I feel like pandemic, you would be um, absolutely kind of drawn into. There is a show on Netflix called The Keepers. Mm-hmm. And oh. it was about a nun that was murdered back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Is, it how, is there a ketchup bottle involved in that? Did something happen with a ketchup no, bottle? No, I don't know. Okay, never. But mind. anyway, it, it, it's absolutely fascinating because a um, a teenage girl also murdered around the same time, and so there were people who went to the Catholic high school there who are older now, and they were they formed a Facebook group to see if they could figure out. Does anyone else remember this? And wow. um, so you know, they're they're older women who it, it's I think it's like about six parts. But they unravel this whole thing by getting in touch with other people about, yes, there was this murdered nun who did it. You end up finding there's ties to the Catholic Church. It's insane. Something that just started with, a, we don't, does anyone remember this? Does anybody remember this girl who died? And trying to just basically get in touch over Facebook with people who were at the same time. And it just explodes in this investigation with these um, amateur sleuths who end up cracking wow. open this thing. It, it's it's fascinating. So the that's keepers. the thing. I, it's called The Keepers. Okay. I'll check it so out. Check that out. And then, of course, obviously, all of the other things that were on there. Um, oh, gosh. Have you watched the most recent, the Cecil Hotel one? I haven't yet. Yes. Yeah. I, I haven't um, watched it because I, w- I kept getting mixed reviews if it was good or not. So I'm and yes, I have some controversial opinions on that one as well. <laughs> it is a fascinating documentary. Let's see, can we find out like what the actual name of it is? Um, no, oh, it's just called Crime Scene Crime Vanishing scene. at the Cecil Hotel. Yeah. So what's fascinating about it is that, well, did you ever watch American Horror Story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was the the season about the hotel. Uh-huh. Yes. It's based on the Cecil. Um, so it's, it's fascinating from that aspect and also just a lot of the history about it that I did not know about this hotel and people thinking it's a pretty cursed hotel. Um, but what you really find out about it is that it is located right in Skid Row in mm-hmm. LA 
And so uh, the hotel ended up actually becoming like a sort of like a temporary residence for people who couldn't afford to go anywhere else. Um, so a lot of drug use, a lot of, a lot of so what they did, they, they wanted to actually kind of try to get rid of these permanent tenants that were there, the, the hotel, the people who bought the hotel later. And they found out that the city told them, you can't do that. You can't throw these, these people out. So what they did was they created a new hotel within the hotel that ended up being like three floors of the hotel were for people who were from out of town. They made it like it was this hip millennial, different lobby. They created a different lobby door to go into. The thing they could not change though was the elevators. So if you took the elevator to a different floor, you would end up on a floor with lots of people doing drugs, lots of people. Thing that really turned me up about the Cecil Hotel documentary was, uh, if you know anything about it, it's about the girl who went missing. In, in the elevator scene where she's right. looking out, it, I've seen that scene before. Yeah, and so there were a lot of people who um, the, the girl went missing, um, but the only footage they have of her of her last moments is the is the footage from the elevator, and she's acting yeah. very bizarre, mm -hmm. um, uh, playing around with the the buttons in the elevator. She's like looking out, like she's looking at something, like something's following her. She's acting very odd, and then she goes missing. Um, they, I. I, I I don't think it's like giving anything away because it was news, but they ended up finding her in the hotel's water tank. Water tank. Right. Um, so, but before all of that happened, what it unleashed a all of these like YouTube investigators who became obsessed with what happened to her. And I feel like this documentary spends so much time on these YouTube investigators mm -hmm. that it it gets kind of sad because they're so off base with a lot of their theories. And to me, this was something that happened to a very troubled girl that actually was not supernatural at all. Right. Yeah. And they spend way too much time talking about these things that um, one of the things that really upset me about it was there was a guy who stayed at that hotel once. It, was, it, it didn't cost that much to stay there. So a lot of people who were coming in from out of town would, would stay at this place. There was a guy who was in like, a heavy metal like uh, band. He filmed himself in the hotel doing some music videos and on the street. People, and, and he had some uh, music that he put out. These YouTube people became so convinced that he was the murderer. So convinced he had to be the one because there was stuff in his lyrics and the way he behaved, he stayed there. Uh. They doxed the hell out of this guy. Mm. Um, basically, where he had to, he had to prove that he did not kill this girl. Wow! Oh, jeez. So they really screwed things up. They they would call uh, the the um, the LA Police Department constantly with their theories because they released the video. Uh, so it's it's also like a whole thing that that kind of got out of hand where they spend way too much time on these YouTube people that I think kind of made it more of a mess out of things. It could have been three parts instead of whatever it is just talk about the history and what happened to her and about her life yeah, it right. focuses way too much on these youtube people but yeah so that's my controversial netflix hey. take. <laughs> there you go yeah there you go so there's some good things in it if you can disregard the bad although i have to say as a lover of all things horror that real the real thing like serial killers and like the torture porn kind of things i have a hard time doing because to me, that's 
scary. It's very real. That's the, the it's too close to reality for me. Um, and, and I shy away. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think the only thing that kind of like makes me able to watch it is like, I can watch it through like this lens of something that's already happened and there's an ending. Yeah. So I think that, that I'm not able to compartmentalize it, but yeah, any of that kind of stuff, especially if you go back to like what you were talking about, there's certain horror movies I just can't watch. It's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. Nope. Give yeah. me a rotting corpse chasing me down the street any day. I think we have devolved. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so before we, before we say goodbye, tell us what you're working on. What do you yeah. have coming up? What's going on? Well, you know, I mean, I'm kind of just in the very beginning stages of doing some writing on some new poems. Um, I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's been difficult this year. Um, also finding it much easier to fall back on promoting my new book than writing some stuff. But there are kernels of things in my head that I also feel like I'm kind of, I don't want to say going back to my original book, but that's still the same things that inspire me. A lot of the things that um, have been in my mind thinking about writing a lot of more things about folklore I've been thinking about, oh, yes. which also kind of gets you into that territory of cryptids and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I One of the other things that I kind of find a fascinating, because when you talk about ghost stories and stuff like that, um, they, they are metaphors for our real life in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. And, and folklore is the same thing. Um, what is true about a folklore? What is, what is a lie about a folklore? What is embellished? Um, why do we create folklore? Why do we, um, I guess even you could put urban legends into that. They, yeah. they are used to explain things, but there also, aren't there a lot of other things about life that are also just folklore? Things we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better. Yeah. You know, the folklore of being safe in your own neighborhood, you know, yeah. so... That's exciting. So that's kind of the things I've been thinking of. Yeah. We'll, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, yeah, that will be exciting. I've been reading up on folklore and, and all of that. Where can our you listeners know. find you, Jay? Uh, gosh, uh, I, I am on Twitter. If people want to um, look me up there, uh, what is my Twitter handle? I think it's James Siegel Poet. Um, you, can, you can find me there. Um, I also do a um, literary show, which I think was mentioned earlier. You can look up Literary Speakeasy on Facebook. Um, those are kind of probably be the best ways uh, to find stuff about me. You can you can also Google me, but make sure you put the J in my in my name. If you put James J Siegel, you'll find stuff on me. Awesome. If you put regular James Siegel, I think there is another fiction author, and he yeah. pops up first. There is, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, those are the best ways to find me. Awesome. I don't have a what the hell. It occurs to me, I was spending all my time being excited about Jay, that I don't have a what the hell. So that's my what the hell. Your what the hell is you don't have a what the hell? What the hell? All right, Witch, hit us with your what the hell. What the hell. Okay, I have a what the hell. Did you know there's a traveling grave in Mount Union Pleasant Valley Cemetery? A traveling grave? A traveling grave. No, do tell. Okay. So the grave is of a woman named Elizabeth, who purportedly died in the cemetery. And her, she supposedly died in a tree that's in the back of the cemetery. And they're not quite sure how she died. She may have uh, died by suicide. She may have been murdered. They're not sure, but they know she died near this, near this tree, but her body was buried 
in front of the cemetery. And so the story goes that Elizabeth's grave moves from the front of the cemetery to the back of the cemetery near where she was actually, she actually died. Now, there are about 13 Elizabeths in the cemetery, if mm-hmm. you go, I've been there. I've been, You've to been that, there. I've been to that cemetery oh, okay. after you You've said that. Yeah. yeah, I've yeah. been there. Yeah. So there are about 13 Elizabeths in the cemetery, if you go. So there, I mean, one could argue it could be a trick of the mind. You're not sure which Elizabeths you're looking at, but one could argue that Elizabeth is quite unhappy mm-hmm. that her grave is not near where she died. I'm going to go with that one. I like that one too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jay. For coming. Oh, and it's been an honor. It has been so much fun tonight talking with you, learning more about you, hearing your work, which was fantastic. So, thank you so much, listeners. Please check out James J. Siegel. Um, Google and buy his books. You can get them on Amazon. Get them on Amazon. How Ghosts Travel. And what's the t- what's your second title, Jay? I'm sorry, I don't have it in front the of God me. The God of San Francisco. The God of San Francisco. Yes. Thank you, listeners, for sticking around with us tonight. Uh, you can follow us along on Instagram at the Horror Salon. We encourage you to do so. We've got some fun content going up there every day. Uh, send us a line. Uh, let us know what your favorite horror poetry is. And please, if you do get into James J. Siegel's book, let us know what your favorite poem is. Yes. We would love to know and we'd love to share as well. So you can find us at info at the And then of course, you can always find us at our website, the where we've got show notes, links to everything we talk about. Lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast, we hope you will subscribe. Um, and we also hope you'll share with a friend to help us grow this little horror community. So um, leave a like, review, comment if you so please. We love it all and we'd love to hear from you and know what, you, what you're enjoying. So with that. The candle is out. The Pazoos is most definitely <laughs> empty. Most definitely Most empty. definitely. Thank you so much for uh, listening. Um, to the horror salon. I am your co-host Andemic. And I'm your co-host, The Witch. We'll catch you next time at the Horror Salon, where we curate the strange and unusual. Until dawn do us part. monsters it's the witch and andemic music for this episode is rage by the 126ers
Check out our website for show notes and links to some cool extras. Later, nerds.